Hey guys, welcome to another session of PhD Liz. I'm Liz. And I'm Zain Yao. And we're, we're a podcast. We <laughs> are a podcast. We are the most awkward podcast you've ever been to, and we hope you keep coming back because yeah. it will continue. But other awkward. than awkwardness, we're about cult- uh, academia, cultural, and culture, and social justice across the STEM humanities divide. And when we're not talking about books or makeup, we're talking about TV shows. <laughs> Yeah, and we realize I and I have been watching some TV yeah. recently. And we realize it's been a while since we've talked about popular culture or current events because we've the last couple have been very focused, I think, on uh, issues in higher education. But mm-hmm. so one really thing serious that, stuff. that was really exciting is that on the same day as my birthday was the official release of a new TV show that we're both excited about. Although as it turns yeah. out, the first episode was actually put online like a couple weeks before the official air date. But we're talking about Issa Rae's Insecure. Yay! Yes, yes, I was always looking for this show. I mean, for, for years, like, honestly, years. Because um, I don't know how long you've been following Issa Rae. Did you ever, did you know about Awkward Black Girl? Yes, yeah. Like, yeah, the YouTube series. And so I was just really excited about that possibly becoming a show. And I was, like, so happy to hear that it was finally coming and, like, you know, finally going to exist. And so now it's here and it's awesome. Yeah. And it's, I think it's interesting because so outside of our, you know, very serious academic work, Liz and I do watch a number of the same shows, which also include like a number of shows, which are considered to be like representative of like our generation as like young women. So like girls, broad city and now insecure. And so we thought it'd be interesting to have a conversation about about these shows because obviously they've been really hot topics um, in terms of like a lot of stereotypes or old, but also conflicts and issues that especially women in our generation face. And it's so nice that finally, like after HBO had girls on for like, I think it's like almost onto its fourth season that now they're starting with like a show that actually like is centered on a woman of color creator. But yeah, so we were hoping to add our PhD the spin on a series of shows that were going out and hopefully provide different context than what you've been hearing otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, oh my gosh, where to, I mean, where do we start? Do we just fangirl out about Insecure first? Um, <laughs> do we talk about Broad City or Girls? Like, where oh my do you God. Start this, this, I didn't really think about the chronology of it. Um, I'm also cheating by making you no. do like I'm making you choose because I don't. Let's like see. It. I'm gonna try and toss the ball back in your court because I remember that you like. I think I don't play basketball. Oh, oh, oh okay, fine. Like, I'm gonna like, <laughs> ball, volley <laughs> no, it back no, into no, your court. Like trying to use a tennis metaphor now. Speaking as a non-sports, you know, person. I can just say I don't play any of those sports. I know. Neither do I. Anyways, I, I'm gonna try <laughs> and force you there. Just a brute force. Um, I remember that I think that you, file. you maybe bought or was were reading both Issa Rae's and Lena Dunham's um, autobiographies at the same time. Well, yeah, they came out so not the same time because they didn't come out at the same time. But I do have a copy of Lena Dunham's memoir, and I also have Issa Rae's. Um, one I bought, one I was uh-huh. gifted. So you can figure that out. Um, 
Yeah, they were they were interesting, much like Lena 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 Dunham's show Girls. When I read her memoir, I first thought, "Oh, this is cool. This is very liberating. This is very kind of pro woman positivity." <coughs> and then I got to certain parts and just thought, "Oh, wait, no." I can't relate anymore, or this is weird. The whole sister part. I just, you know, there was this part where I, I couldn't, I couldn't still agree with her, and I couldn't still, you know, side. I couldn't side with her, and there are also moments where I really had to think, like, this is cool and all, but this doesn't apply to me because if I did this, I would not have that outcome that she yeah. has. So I guess there are ways in which, even when, and it, and it kind of goes with her TV show. I thought. Oh, this is funny. This is cool. You know, even though I'm not from Manhattan and I'm not white, I should, I, I can still be a part of this experience. And then, you know, after a few, maybe like a, I don't know how many episodes, I just had to think, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't about me at all. I can't do any of this. This actually doesn't include me the way I would want mm-hmm. it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what's interesting to me is like with both Lena Dunham's and Issa Rae's memoirs coming around about the same time, it seems like we also saw like their development before they hit mainstream consciousness was like or probably around the same time because Issa Rae was like making it big on YouTube. Lena Dunham had her uh, first uh, debut um, indie film, Little Tiny Furniture. And it was interesting to mm-hmm. me that uh, as someone who's kind of following on a whole com- uh, that's whole discussion, especially of this this rise of um, young women creators, that even though they started around the same time, like it's again taking this long for Issa Rae to get her show, whereas Lena Dunham was able to get hers far faster. Um, also, the, uh, them coming from very different places, of course, because I, my understanding is that Lena Dunham's, like I think one of her parents is a is a well known New York based artist. And likewise, um, sort mm-hmm. of Broad City, although I don't think it's quite contemporaneous with the rest of them, they started also with, like, YouTube sketches. So there's also sort of, like, a sort of um, DIY, can-do uh, mentality that perhaps surrounds um, all these different female creators, as well, perhaps, like, this sort of sense of authenticity and, like, the way that we often want to see their characters and themselves sort of blurring between each other and the extent to which they represent our experiences. Yeah, you, you brought up a lot of things. So one, I, I know that a lot of people like to point out the sort of similar, like the trajectories of Lena Dunham and Issa Rae and how they are similar and how they are different. And from interviews that I've read from Issa, I, I get the impression that she's tired yeah, of okay. hearing that um, and that it's kind of played out. And... I don't know. So I, I guess you can, we can say that there's a difference. There's, there's, there obviously was a difference, um, who backed them, what, what things happened. And I, and I don't really know. Um, I'm just happy that they both still, I guess I can say they're both, but I'm happy that they're here. I'm happy that Issa Rae got the opportunity to do Mm -hmm. her show her way because she could have actually gotten her show out way sooner she just turned down those offers from um, television sitcoms. She's had other pilots, like she had a show called, um, I think, I Hate L.A. Dudes or something uh, something like that. I can't remember the name. 
So she's had other opportunities. She didn't, but she wanted more control. Um, so yeah, there's that, but I'm going to probably side with Issa Rae and, or what her desires are. And it's like, let's have a different conversation and not just one like, oh, you've done so much, but look what this mm-hmm. other person's done. Cause it kind of diminishes even what you have done. There can be a space for that, but I don't, I don't know if it needs to be something that men- gets mentioned every time you want to talk about their shows or their work. Although um, like, sorry. And then I, I was going to say that yeah. like, for me, it's more like this conversation about structural, obviously the structural differences that attend different types of people's privileges and access to like who gets funded and stuff like that. And I, like, I feel like with the whole talk about how we need more diversity on screen, both on the big screen and the small screen, often people are like, well, why don't, you know, why don't people color make their own things? And the, the answer is that they are, but, but, and people can do it. And Issa Rae is a fantastic example of that, but obviously that there's still a lot of barriers to like the sort of simplistic, well, if you don't like it, why don't you make your own thing? Um, so. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Lena Dunham had the backing yeah. of Judd Apatow, Apatow, Apatow. And then Broad City actually got backed oh, by yeah, Amy yeah, Poehler. So they definitely did have these, these entrances from people larger that had, that allowed them to get that kind of access faster. And you, I guess it is a real, a good question. So why wasn't that happening for her? Um, but I, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe let's see. So it's sort of strange in some ways to talk about it. Cause we're talking like there's been almost four seasons of girls, maybe like two or three seasons of broad city. And now we only have one episode of insecure to talk about. So Hmm. I guess so, so maybe Liz if I was going to interview you about this what is the appeal of someone who's accomplished as you as yourself so who's multiple Ivy League degrees with her PhD um, to these shows of 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 other young women your age especially when some of them like Girls in Broad City are about young women who don't really have it together well I'm, I don't so let me just say I love Broad uh-huh. City as well um, probably I really <laughs> like Broad City <laughs> and I was I actually saw them Abby and Alana when they came to Cornell yeah. I think they're great I love their stand-up I love how often they uh, reference um, female genitalia <laughs> and orgasms and so I love their show so I would want to I don't know if I personally want to compare and contrast them in that in that way because I think they both I think I can relate to both of those shows um I liked Insecure in general I just thought well I've always thought Issa Rae's awkward uh her awkward depiction was funny and in some cases like spot on it's just like I think it's just it's like this it toes this middle line between I'm like I am I'm white to white I'm white to I'm black to white people and sometimes I'm white to black people like when you're in the middle of that space um and your identity doesn't really conform to things that they're supposed to conform to like culturally or like stereotypically and that's where I think the awkwardness really fits in that's where I think it's really cool to see her like have these story, mm-hmm. have that story 
and to see her interact in the workplace and with her friends and at parties, it's just really cool. Yeah, what did you um, like about it? Just well, I just thought it was really funny. First of all, I have to say I haven't really seen any of the awkward mm-hmm. black uh, girls YouTube series, um, so I, ca- I can't I can't compare between. Oh the two man, of them. you're missing out. But. I just really enjoyed, I think what I enjoy about Insecure that I also really enjoy about Broad City is like that there's such a camaraderie between between women in it and like that uh, friendships are so complicated. Um, what are, let's see, what are some of my favorite, one of the moments I really liked was what, before she was going out on the, the kind of wanted to be a date situation with the guys she was interested in. And she was trying yeah, on all the yeah. different lipsticks and like different personalities with all the lipstick. And I thought, that, <laughs> uh, I thought that was like, incredibly yeah. clever. Um, and she looked fabulous in all the different lipsticks as well. Um, she really did. Also, when I do lipstick smears, you know, obviously the color of the older <laughs> ones still gets stuck on there. No, she she was glowing. She she looked fabulous. Um, I, I like actually when I watched it, all I thought about was how the cameraman was just amazing and how they've got the per someone has finally captured the perfect light mm-hmm. for dark skinned people because mm-hmm. it's different, you know, you have to illuminate differently and it's really awesome. Yeah. So her, her sort of candid moments of being in the mirror or her raps are really funny. Um, yeah, I just appreciated the diversity of the story. Her friend's storyline and her storyline merging are just really great. I'm looking forward to seeing what else is going to happen in the yeah, show. Yeah, I really liked the contrast between, really like, excited. what does it look like her friend, I guess, ostensibly having, like, she's able to uh, code switch really effectively from the beginning. It seems like she has all these things together, um, but obviously romantically she's still frustrated. Issa Rae is as, Issa Rae's character is as well. Um, I also really enjoyed the portrayal of Issa Rae's nonprofit <laughs> and sort of like the well-meaning but, um, <laughs> co- condes- like condescension of a certain type of white liberal uh, do-gooderness and how oblivious that can be to some extent. Yeah. And also like even the opening scene I thought was so clever with the po- but poor Issa Rae like getting savaged by a whole uh, classroom of school children. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but I think there there's a lot of truth to that. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be a, a classroom full of children. I think that there's a certain point where people when you when a woman is presenting, they're asking in the back of their head, uh-huh. but where's her rank? Right? Like no matter how successful you are, what you've done in your life, but do you have someone? Like that's in the back of their head. They kinda wanna know what your deal is and it's like they won't they don't need to they don't want to listen to anything else you say until they figure that out and so I think that scene kind of captured that very perfectly yeah. and also what I thought was interesting is that they're using of course the children as a sounding board for a lot of like obvious criticisms that the character faces in terms of like well why do you talk white why is your hair like this but it was interesting that it was coming um, from a classroom of what seemed to be like primarily like um kids kids who uh kids of color right and so it was this interesting i think directorial decision like this is going to be the opening scene we're going to establish it by having like the people who pick apart her insecurities be children um 
Yeah. And also, like, there's that one really vicious point where, like, yeah. I forget, she, um, <laughs> like, one kid, like, threw some serious shade about her outfit. And I was like, whoa, it's brutal. Yeah, they just, they just kept adding on. Yeah. Kids can be cruel, man. Kids can be very cruel. I'm, okay, the only thing I'm really upset about is that it's on HBO. Because do I. I don't have a subscription. I'm not trying to get a subscription, so now I'm just scrounging around the internet trying to find free copies of this thing. <sighs> and I also don't really particularly like that because mm-hmm. I obviously want to support the show. I don't want it to be the reason why the show doesn't get another season because, you know, like the viewer, the numbers. But also, come on. Yeah. So it's sort of like, if you enjoy this conversation with me and Liz, who knows if we'll be able to have a follow-up one if we're able to watch the rest of the show. And I know that there are other seasons are out. I just don't have HBO. I need to get some friends, some uh, yeah. some friends with HBO. That needs to be like a new hashtag, sure a new movement. Be. Yeah, right. Because like people have been friends. always talking about trying to get Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> friends don't let friends yeah. not use your HBO. Yeah, like likewise, I'm really missing <laughs> the access to my ex's family's Netflix account. Not that it would work in Canada, but like <laughs> I do really want to see Ava DuVernay's documentary Thirteenth. Oh my god! Canada, well, like we have we have a different Netflix. Netflix. Oh my god! Like, and it, it's also like in it is Europe in Canada, too. but it's a, it's a completely what? different. It's like a different system. Like I think that the permissions differ from country to country. So even when I had a Netflix account, U.S. account, like mm-hmm. as soon as it comes to Canada, I can't use it. So now I'm just like, oh, maybe I just do I just sign up for the free month's trial so I could watch the documentary? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I think what also is interesting to me about Insecure in relation to the, the two other shows is that Broad City and Girls, those characters are a mess. Whereas at the beginning of Insecure, like both Issa Rae and her friend, like they have it together. But even though they're trying to like succeed in all these different ways, like they still have issues. You know what I mean? Like there's a way that like Issa Rae and her, her friend aren't like complete mess, messes the way that Hannah Horvath or Abby and Alana are allowed to be. I don't know. I don't know. I I guess I never. I don't know. I mean, my. I guess I'm pausing because my. I also. I thought that the women in Insecure were also messes in their own ways, and it could also be. I don't know. Me kind of feeding into it from some of the. Um, uh-huh. the awkward black girl series but she's an awkward black girl she doesn't like her job neither one of the the characters are kind of happy about where they are in their lives so so are you just saying like, yeah, professionally, like professionally they both have jobs better than in the other shows wait in no, the no, other no, shows are doing better professionally secure, those characters are doing much better and professional professionally, whereas like they have jobs uh, in the other shows, like the women are only partially employed or like you know working, picking up towels in the gym or. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or I think what um, Lena Dunham's character, um, is getting yeah, yeah. money from her parents. Yeah, I think at least in okay. the first season. Well, I guess she still begs for money from time to time. Yeah, I, I 
Yeah, I think I've watched the first season and then Mm -hmm. snippets of the other seasons. I've watched it all. Well, it was something that Teddy and I used to watch together. So even like eventually it was a hate watch for me kind of because like a lot of it I think is both fascinating but very frustrating at the same time. Yeah, what didn't you like about Girls? <sighs> well, I think that what I have didn't like about it like change changes over the course of like both the this, this series and my viewing experience. Um, on the one hand, uh-huh. there was something really like appealing and addictive of about Lena Dunham showing how, of course, like the you know being so being able to show her body on the screen when not, not being like a normatively attractive Hollywood body. Um, about this portrayal of how like terrible mm-hmm. sex in your twenties, like sort of how flawed people can be, and like there's something, I guess, sort of pleasurable about seeing like how much of a how the fact that her character doesn't have to be likable, I think is really interesting. Like, but that's also the fr- part of the frustration of girls because mm-hmm. like people are terrible and and assholes, and sometimes they do develop or don't. But of course, like. Also, what's frustrating is you're in New York City and somehow there's only white people. And after the first season, the way that Lena Dunham dealt with it was to basically dismiss it by having this beginning of second season, have her character be in a relationship with a character played by Donald Glover, who's a black Republican, and then have them break up immediately. So to sort of be yeah. like, hey, hurry or hurt it, but like in a really shallow way and then like completely dismissing it afterwards. Um, and so the, I think feel like that yeah. was, was very frustrating. I also think that there's this sort of even though we're supposed to critique the privilege of the characters, there's a, I think that sometimes both the show in universe and like the way that people like praise girls tend to be like kind of oblivious to it. Like, I think that the show does like critique these things, but like the extent to which like people, when people talk about, Oh, Lena Dunn is such a genius. Like they don't seem to be able to like extend that critique to, to other like that the show itself as a phenomenon. Um. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like the show really toes the line between being very critical of their privilege and also being very oblivious yeah, like it, to the fact like... that they had privilege. And like, I think we would like to believe, or maybe in the beginning of the show, when I started watching, I'd like to believe that they were just yes. being very critical of their pri- privilege um, and then towards the, the more I watched, the more I felt like, no, this was just completely moving in the absence of any other world besides this world, yeah, that world yeah. they depicted. But but promoting itself as something yeah, that all like women this, could partake in, like when it really the, wasn't something. Like, I feel like the first season of, again had a lot of promise and like there was room for it to grow. And I don't feel like what's been frustrating is that you don't see it grow at all because then it also becomes very sitcom-y like in the last few seasons like the same storylines start happening over again over again like like people develop and they completely uh, regress again because now you're dependent on all the characters being like character types as opposed to actually being developed as individuals yeah. for example and mm-hmm. like exoticizing things like there, I was very frustrated there's this whole storyline in the most recent season where Shoshana goes to Japan and I've had a lot of issues with that mm. that portrayal, like as well as like her Japanese boyfriend, like, of course he's like so like, you know, he's like like J boy band pretty, but like he doesn't know understand about sex because, you know, 
Asian yeah. men aren't that masculine or. Well, like it's basically very oh, heavily implied uh, because it's just okay. Like, partially, <laughs> you're supposed to make fun of them, but the extent to which you're really supposed to do it, I think, is uh, only comes to a certain point. Yeah, it's just a it's just a frustrating show. Is it the kind of frustrating that made you want to keep watching? I don't entirely know. It, it was strange because I feel that there was something about the first season that was really addictive. And after I, I watched it, then I immediately looked up her her movie, Tiny Furniture, and watched that as well. Uh, yeah, because like there's something yeah, about Tiny Furniture about it that was it like it promised it promised something, a certain portrayal of a type of what it means to be a, a millennial woman right now or something. But now it just feels like the latest version in a group of like hip white 20 somethings are in New York city in the long line of, of that as a convention. Yeah. Which is funny because broad city is also mm-hmm. a show with women also yeah, set so. in Manhattan, right? In New York City. And it's <laughs> <Very> different. <laughs> I enjoy Broad City much it's more. It's different. And yeah, yeah, but I think it's also a comedy. It's supposed to be a comedy. And I think it follows more um, com- like sitcom-y rising, like plot development. So at the end of an episode, you have a sense of closure about the event. And basically every episode mm-hmm. could stand alone. Although it helps to know what happened in the one before sometimes, it could, it could also stand alone, I think. It's odd, yeah. And then, you know, they're, they're characters that are intentionally meant to be, you know, funny and just kind of oh my God. intermittent, like Bevers, <laughs> you know. He's supposed to make you... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I really like that show. I like their friendship. I like how funny... I like how dirty they are. Like, how... I like their mm-hmm. dirty language. <laughs> um, um, I like so Hannibal Burris. He loves dogs so show. much, but he can't subject them to the crazy life of a dentist or whatever that line is from his character. yeah i need to catch up on my broad city but it's it's a really good show and you can well at least i can tell that the improv comedy background because they both met they were they did improv comedy and that's also their kind of um first second or third generation relationship with amy poehler because i think the improv group that Polar founded oh, okay. is the group that they were in, the comedy circle that they were in. So that's how they kind of had this connection. Generations removed, of course, but he talks to the right person and they can get you into the, you know, at least get her to look at your stuff. And then, you know, she likes it and it works. Yeah. What I enjoy about Broad City is also like the surreal quality of their humor. Like there's like these really ridiculous things that happen and the way that they sort of stretch and manipulate reality to me is, is, is really enjoyable. Uh, well, just like, like what? 
like like when they hallucinate and all these other strange things or like when they're trying to like track down something about the post office and they end up in this really like surreal weird outer borough of manhattan um <laughs> yeah and yeah, the the uh, the adventures they go on definitely. And because escalate, of that, I feel like in a way it's crazy. like cathartic in a different way because the lives they they leave are so different from mine because I'm just not as fun as Abby and Alana, you know. Like I don't think anyone has ever aspired <laughs> to party with me. <laughs> Abby and Alana are not as fun. That's as true. Abby when and they Alana. came to Cornell, I think a lot of people like were like, "Oh my god, I want to smoke pot with Abby and Alana." But obviously they have to have their, their their shit together because they're they're running their own show and everything like that. Uh, yeah, it's a lot to run a show. Um, yeah, I thought they were fun. They were they did a lot of fun things. Alana is crazy. I think I don't remember what scene it was, but I think she got really excited about something, and then she just started like twerking in the air, like she just like yeah. flipped and just started dancing, and it was like hilarious. Because if I could, I'm not that acrobatic. If I could, I would do that. So in my head, <laughs> I had like an Alana moment. Probably, yeah. And there's little things also about the show that I think it's they're smart about, like. Again, despite being, well, but two Jewish white girls in New York City, like they do have a greater incorporation of, of racial diversity in their show. There is even even this moment in the most recent season where um, one of the queer characters, who I think is from from South America, the, the roommate, he he calls out uh, Alana for wearing her Latina earrings. He's like, "You mm. can't do that. You're not Latina." Like little little things like that, whereas oh, right, I feel right. like in girls they might acknowledge it and like feel bad about it, but they'll just be like, "Oh, we're just like so overcome by our own angst that we won't address it." <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering how much of that difference though is because mm-hmm. Broad City is supposed to be a comedy, and I don't think Girls is actually supposed to. I yeah, think I it's so. a, like a comedy. melodrama. So can they do the same, same type of work? Things. Yeah, I think comedy, people do use comedy to reduce attention of situations or to point out things that are not supposed to be funny, but you make it funny, you make people think about so it. So do you feel like drama, drama as, as a genre is less critical than comedy? Is like, I mean, like, as in being able to be, like, critical of things? Or it's just... Oh, sorry. Okay. okay. No, I didn't. I wouldn't say that. I would just what makes you laugh. The other one doesn't. They can both be critical. And I guess maybe that's why, like, this um, Prosperous Smooth Girls. Like, I feel like it's it has the potential to be critical and smart about what it does, but has become complacent. Ooh, one thing I almost forgot. Like, I definitely have to bring up because I have a lot of friends who did MFAs. I think a lot of people were um, in the. English literary world were very frustrated with the whole storyline where Hannah gets into Iowa Writers Workshop because that's the number one like creative writing program like in the US if not the world and like so like I think that we were all sort of mm-hmm. waiting with bated breath when the season came to, to show how um, they portray the MFA program and I think that the result was very very frustrating um, for look. Well, how not just that they didn't the portray it in a way that so was good, good, but perhaps like they just—I didn't watch. Like this. in some ways, 
like they did do a go- good job of like parroting certain types that, of people that end up workshopping stuff as, um, when you're a young writer. But at the same time, like it still tried to like show Hannah as being better than all that. Um, and I think there's legitimate critiques to be made about MFA programs because like there is this whole dilemma that people who want to write face like do you take an MFA or um, and have time to write or do you just like continue writing with whatever you're doing but nonetheless like the way that they approached it was like a lot less clever and they made it a lot more shallow than it could have been yeah Uh, okay I have no MFA experience (laughs) so I can't comment I guess like the analogy be like yeah like but I could see people getting upset the characters getting into like a top biomedical engineering program and then they like sort of blew it and like they like you'd be like yay they're kind of like recognizing me but are they going to do a good job and it's like uh it's kind of there but not but this is sort of frustrating and yeah it's like how every scientist yeah yeah i Mm -hmm. like to demystify movies a lot i'll get a little it's like what that's not scientific you don't just mix things and things fizz and then the world's okay (laughs) No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was just thinking, like, I haven't seen a lot of girls. I've seen the first season, and then I stopped. Because I just, no, I didn't feel like the, the show was for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think stopped, I stopped enjoying, enjoying it, it, but somehow I was still being forced to watch it. <laughs> so. <sighs> you and your relationship. And then I watched Broad City, but I was watching it yeah. through Hulu. So I need to catch up, actually. And Insecure, I hope to continue to watch. Maybe this is the part where we can find reach a way. out to our listeners and be like, if, do you, if you have an HBO Go account, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or if we find the link, we'll let you guys know. What I do appreciate about all three shows is that it shows how frustrating and complicated it is to to date and be in relationships in your 20s. And like this, I think that one thing that all of them explore is like not just the mm. awkwardness of sex, but also like this, the weirdness of like the longer that you're in a relationship, like the more you have to ask this question, like, am, are we supposed to like get serious, quote unquote, and get married, have kids and like. And it's such a strange space to be in. Um, and I think that the shows like show such a, a wide array of responses. And I, I do appreciate that like none of them are, are rushing towards marriage as a solution at all. Um, whereas like some shows that we could say is like the previous generation of this and Sex in the City, like everyone, pretty, almost everyone ends up married as like the culmination of like their, their dating journey. Mm. Yeah, like in the end. That's true. We'll so actually we'll have to wait and see because <laughs> yeah. the, the shows aren't over yet and they could very well end up married. But I think you're onto something about how these shows show an emergent, like a trend. They all do represent the life of millennials, I guess is what, what we're called. Or just people in, 20, in the 2000s who are in their 20s and fresh out of college or in that awkward gap between college and having enough experience to have employers look at you like you actually deserve a job <laughs> and like health insurance. Um, living in that space between getting real furniture 
versus like furniture from Craigslist or Ikea or, mm-hmm. you know, still asking your parents for things. That sense of autonomy that, frankly, people our age don't have. But if you think about our parents' generation, they did yeah. have by our age. Mm-hmm, and there are mm-hmm. some financial implications for that. Like, I think there are statistics around how um, people in our generation aren't buying homes and cars. And a lot of that, the way the other generation was, and a, some yes. of that has to do with the fact yes. that we have loans. We're still in school. We can't afford to do those things. So that, I think, you can see throughout all the shows how, like, there's this way in which people aren't settling down and are having difficulty even trying to or contemplating whether they should because I know like I think I think it's hard <laughs> you really got it Liz. like there's something about like that all these shows are sort of questioning these narratives of like what it means to have a complete life like economically because we're all we're like the economy is not the same way it was for our family's generation but like big questions about what is happiness like what is security and what is love or things that they're all like putting into perspective. And what I think is interesting is like, again, even as our generation isn't like able to buy cars or houses or whatever, it's funny that uh, what we are capable of is like producing culture. Like obviously all these three shows like are a big cultural force um, Mm -hmm. because our generation is also hungry perhaps to see some sort of validation of our difficult circumstances. Some people might be like, oh yeah, so you guys are just gonna be like watching these shows instead of like, I don't know building up your 401k or whatever yeah although i mean Mm -hmm. making culture is also way cheaper the advent of technology or this new technology i would say technology's always been around but anyone has a cell phone and so now you don't have to be a big producer to make a movie you don't have to be a producer to make skits um, you don't have to be a movie star to make seven seconds of material mm-hmm. that becomes a vine that gets viewed by millions of people. And so having that kind of access is actually opening doors. And in fact, all three of the shows that we talked about today started in that very way. With, I was just like, you know, I didn't intend it this way, but it's just like us. You're wagging your face at your Oh, <laughs> you were going okay, and like us, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's why we love the podcast movement so much because we get to have our voices heard. We get to talk about what we want, and you know, if you don't like it, you just don't listen. But there are people who and do like it, about, so like, we're still here. Yeah, and actually, honestly, even if you weren't, yeah, we'd still we, be talking you, to each other. Even if you didn't like it, but us, there's something like here. yeah, like the producing culture <laughs> is important to our survival, whether or not it gets monetized. Right, like for both ourselves and for like some people who get yeah. things out of it, and that's what's important for us. And what I'm also happy to see is that with these shows, mm-hmm. at least you get diversity of opinion or experience. And so, let's say in the best possible world, the girl shows what it's like to be from middle upper class, yeah, white parents. I don't know. Jewish parents um I don't know I'm not even gonna go down that line but I'm just I'm happy that there's a show that you get to see black women 
and see them in this light, especially because I think now black women are one of the most educated groups in America, in the U.S. And so there's this developing storyline of like these women who are being successful professionally, educationally. Um, They're able to, now they have capital money, they're actually able to gain access into things. And so how, what does that mean for them while they're still, while we're, I, I am a black woman, um, as still being in a U.S. where maybe not everything has advanced with you yeah. where you'd wanted it to. And if you don't even consider institutional things, what yeah. is it just like to date? Uh, you know, it's, it's awkward. It's and hard. I guess, like, to me, that comes back to another difference in the shows. Like, I think it does show the way that white privilege allows people to be a mess in a different way that whereas like it seems to me that the with the first episode and insecure like these are black women who have been successful that had an ed- education like well I guess all all them have ed- education but you know like this like the way that they're dealing with different standards according to race in terms of like what they're expected to achieve is very different right they did everything by the book um, I'd also add that uh Obviously, a show like this doesn't exist for for Asians in the same way. Like, I guess you could say Master of None and um, kind of offered something like that. But there's actually going to be a Canadian show, which I think will be focusing on two Asian-Canadian uh, women as main characters. Yeah, it's called it's called Next Gen. Oh, that's exciting. So, like, What's Next Generation, be but like the name is also like Jen, like Jennifer. So it's called Next Gen. And there's like actually going to be two, I think, new shows on, <laughs> so on CBC. It's the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Next Gen. And the other one also focusing on Asians called um, Kim's Convenience, which is going to be around this family-run Korean grocery store, or convenience store, rather. So I'm really curious about that. Yeah, I'm really curious how that, those will go. I in, think that'd be really light cool. Of the success or fresh off the boat, which I need to catch up with as well. But. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to hear these stories. I think I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good for the whole society because I don't know, I kind of yeah. view these shows as being uh-huh. gateways to other shows happening. Um I would only be upset if it just stopped. You know, like just because we have insecure mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we shouldn't have other shows. And I also think that the more shows that people of color get to have, the more yes. flexible yeah, people definitely. can be in the stories that they tell. And maybe even the less critical. So I guess part of me is playing devil's advocate, but like, let's take Mindy Lahiri for an, Mindy Kaling for an example. Sorry, her character's name is Mindy Lahiri. Um, people critique her a lot because she's only dates white guys and um, she's not very Indian appearing in the show. And I think there's a, I think that if we had more shows that depicted Indian, Indian American life, people would be less concerned about her artistic interpretation of her show. But because she has to represent everybody, she can't, you know, do everything right. She can't do all of that in one show, even if she tried. And I think she does try on some, like she does do it. But I also have this impression she's sticking true to her comedic uh-huh. 
Like, what is her stick? And that is, that's what she does. She does this hyperactive, I eat a lot. Um, I like to wear pink thing very well. So I'm all for everyone winning because I think it gives people more artistic, more freedom to explore other parts of their yeah. identity. Or for that matter, to get to, I don't know, portray portray themselves and not have some people feeling like they're imposters or like they're not being true to themselves because they are. Like every culture, every there's you take 10 people and they're going to be differences. You know, even if you made them from the same state, from the same, have have the same ethnicity, maybe we have the same gender. Yeah. You know, like, you're going sure to have you know, people that are different. There could be people out there who think that characters. you and I are inauthentic in some way, right? Or like we don't represent their experience and that's completely fine. But I think I really yeah. like your point about the whole like everyone wins thing. Like that it's not like success is a commodity, like success should not be viewed as a commodity that comes at the like, expense of others but if we try to broaden it to think like how everyone wins and how it like builds and creates larger networks and more possibility like that's the way to think about it and yeah mm-hmm. so long as it doesn't stop so one thing I would say um not even just talking about the three shows that we mentioned but if you look at um, television right now there's like black tv is in its heyday again You've got Blackish Empire, How to Get Away with Atlanta, Murder, I watched that yesterday. Scandal. Um, we should talk about that, but we're getting really Atlanta long episodes. Is amazing. So we'll, talk, we'll talk after we finish recording. I love it. The Atlanta. weird kid in white face. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> you think there's there's all these shows that are coming up, and it's seeing a heyday, and it's reminding mm. me a lot of the early the early '90s when you also had a rise in black TV, like Martin Living Single. Um, um, the Wayne's brothers had a show, Moesha, there was just like multiple shows up and mm-hmm. I think we're now on that second wave. And I would just be very sad if it stopped. Like, I don't know why the sh- why it ebbs and flows like that, but it would be really great to find a way to keep them going because it's really hurt hard to come back every time you make progress and then the yeah. shows just die out and they don't keep surviving. And it's like all that work that people did mm-hmm. to get here, it just goes away. I don't know why. I know there must be, I'm sure if you looked at the data or something, there'd be some I guess reason. I, I guess we could also say it, like, obviously this I is so indicative of so many other ways that like, for example, legal and pro- progressive advancements are never like, it's never linear like things like the depowering of the voting rights act or like Ava DuVernay's documentary will talk about like the 13th amendment complicated complicated things like it feeds into this wider narrative of like even though we do want to ascribe to a linear view of progress it really is so uneven and so we can celebrate this moment but we're justifiably skeptical about about it and trying to cherish it as much as we can while it lasts I think so. I agree with you. <laughs> so I hope that we hope that you guys liked our conversation. Um, obviously, we left out a lot of things, but that just means we have more to talk about later on. You can find our podcast on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitter under the Teen Divas um, handle. 
please, you can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, leave a comment, um, show us your love, we love you right back. Take care. Bye.